Amen. All right, well, we're there in Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8 is one of the most famous passages in Scripture, and we're going to be here in Romans 8 as we begin this new series on the subject of the victorious Christian life. And I want you to understand something that we're going to be dealing with tonight. Um, We're going to be dealing with some basic doctrinal, theological things, but I want you to understand that, and I'm I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I believe that the concepts that we're going to be talking about tonight um, could could change your life. They could change the direction of your life. For some of you, they could even might cause you to be saved. I want you to be. Uh, I want you to listen to to what we're going to talk about tonight. I want you to follow along, and I'll try to help you in Scripture as we go along. But as we begin this series on the victorious Christian life, I want you to understand that we can have victory, and we have been destined to have victory. Uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's actually the, the title of this sermon, is Destined for Victory. If you look at Romans 8 and verse 31, you'll find one of the famous uh, statements in regards to the victory that we can have through Christ. Romans 8.31 says, what shall, we say, uh, what shall we then say to these things? Notice, famous passage, If God be for us, who can be against us? If you look down at verse number 37, you find another famous passage in regards to the victory that we can have in Christ. Romans 8.37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. See, the Bible says that God has given us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about how to live the victorious Christian life. And I, I want to begin by just explaining to you that the victory has already been won. The victory is already available. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to have it. We're going to have to learn to walk in certain truths to be able to walk in that victory. But I want you to understand that through Christ, we've already been destined for victory. God has already won the battle on our behalf. And there's three specific areas I want you to understand in regards to this victory. And for those of you taking notes, I encourage you to write down some notes when you're at church. Don't just come to hear preaching, you know. I mean, it's great to hear preaching. But write down some notes and learn the Bible together with us and study the Bible. And I'd like you to write this, this statement down. Here's point number one. I'd like you to notice, first of all, the victory in our justification. The victory in our justification. Now, we have to define these terms. These are what are known as theological terms, justification, and we'll speak of other ones. You know, what is justification exactly? Well, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Bible says this, For whom he, now the word he there is referring to God, and it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, today there is a, uh, a religious belief called Calvinism. And Calvinists love to go to these verses. Any verse that has the word predestinate, they, they like those terms. Because they'll, they'll teach that God has chosen, that God has decided who will be saved and who will not be saved. And they'll teach that salvation is not an option. You don't get to choose whether you'd like to be saved. And they like to go to passages like this to prove that. Now that's a total heresy and that's false. The Bible does not say that. All over in Scripture we are told that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, 
It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The word if there means that you get a choice whether you'd like to do it or not. So obviously Calvinism is, is a lie. It's simple to refute. But I want you to understand in Romans 8.29 when it says, for whom he did foreknow. The word foreknow means to know beforehand. And here's what I want you to understand. God in his omniscience, and the word omniscience and, and omnipotence, you know, these are theological terms. The word omnipotence is actually found in scripture. It's a Bible word. But omniscience, the doctrine of omniscience is that God knows everything. The word omni means all. The word science means knowledge. That's the two words that make up the word omniscient or omniscience. He's all-knowing. And here's what I want you to understand. Because of God's omniscience, because of his ability to be all-knowing, he foreknew or he foreknows or he knows beforehand those who will be saved. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Simply knowing who will be saved does not mean he chose for them to be saved. Amen. You understand that? So, because he knows, he gives everyone the option. He gives everyone the ability. He gives everybody the, 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 the option to be saved. But because of his omniscience, he also knows who will actually take salvation and who will receive the gift of salvation by faith and call upon him. So when you see the word for no there, don't think, oh no, this is Calvinism. No, simply because he knew beforehand because of his omniscience doesn't mean that he chose for those to be saved. Now notice verse 29 again, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now you say, well, what about that, Pastor Jimenez? The word predestinate, you know, that, that the word predestinate means to foreordain or to predetermine. Say, is that Calvinism? But again, notice what the Bible says. He, that's God, also did predestinate. What did he predestinate them? To be saved? No. To be conformed to the image of his son. Do you see that? See, the Bible is teaching us here that because God knew who would be saved, then he predestinated or foreordained or predetermined that his will for that individual's life is for them to be conformed to the image of his son. But I want you to understand, there's no Calvinism here. It doesn't say that he predestinated them to be saved. He said It says that he foreknew, and because he knew who would be saved, he predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So again, just because God foreknows does not mean that he chose. And just because God predestinated does not mean that he predestinated them for salvation. It means that those that he knew would be saved were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he, that's God, did predestinate. Notice what it says. Them, that's us, he also called. You see that word called there. See, the Calvinists like to take this passage and turn it into their, you know, one of their favorite passages. But I want you to say, the word called there is again proving that salvation is a choice. The word called, that the, the, the Greek word that's translated called there, and I'm not you know, going to teach you Greek or try to correct the King James using Greek, but here's what I want you to understand. That word, the Greek word that's translated called in Romans 8.30, that same Greek word by our trusted King James translators was translated, it is also translated um, as the word call, calleth, bid, bidden, bade. And 
I'm just sharing that with you because I want you to understand. When the King James translators translated the Greek word into call there, they translated that same word into bid, bidden, or bade. And I want you to understand, with that comes the idea that this is a request. This means that even by calling on them, he is giving them a choice. Even if you were to look up the definition of the word called in our in a modern dictionary, I mean, just from dictionary.com, the word called is translated, uh, I'm sorry, is defined as to command or request to come, to ask or invite to come, to summon. So again, when the Bible says that he called them, what is he doing? He's inviting them to come. He's requesting for them to come. He is summoning them to come. He is bidding them. He has bade them. He has bid them. And again, I just want you to understand, that reinforces the idea that salvation is a call that must be accepted. It's a call that must be received. So there's no Calvinism in this passage at all. He predestinated them, not for salvation, to be conformed to the image of his son. He called them, and that call has to be Accepted. Notice verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, notice what it says, them, that's us, he also justified. You see the word justified there? The word justified is another theological term. Justification in scripture is basically a reference to our salvation. And again, I just want to underline the idea that if he justified them, it's because they accepted the call. They received the call. And then he tells us that he justified us. Keep your place there in Romans 8. That's our text for tonight. But go to Romans chapter number 5. And let me show you just a couple of things about what the Bible teaches about about justification. And I want you to put a bulletin or a ribbon or something there in Romans. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to Romans. Romans is our text for tonight. Go to Romans chapter 5. And look at verse number 1. Therefore, therefore, notice what it says, being justified by faith. Do you see that? So how do we get justified? We're justified by faith. What does it mean to be justified? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that our sins have separated us from God. The Bible says that our sins have put us at enmity with God. We were enemies of God. But when we were justified, when we received the call by faith, when we accepted salvation, we were justified by faith. And as a result, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said that justified... I grew up being told this. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And that's a good, I don't have a problem with that. That's a good term. But you know, a better term is not that justification. If you want to just be more theologically accurate, justification is not necessarily just as if I'd never sinned. Justification is more accurately just as if I'd never been a sinner. Because when I got saved... It's not that he took my sins away, although he did take my sins away. But the Bible says that I became a new creature. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So it's not that he made it as if I'd never sinned before. He made it as if I'd never been a sinner. He made me a new creature. I am a new man. You find that concept all throughout the scripture. See, justification is a new man having peace with God through faith. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? Go, go back to Romans chapter 8. Notice verse number 33. We're going to come back and deal with verses 31 and 32 here in a minute. But notice verse 33. What does it mean to be justified? Because here's what I want you to understand. You and I have victory through justification in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are already victorious if you have been justified, if you have received the justification. Romans 8 and verse 33 says this, Who shall lay anything to the charge? You see that word charge? To the charge of God's elect. That word charge means to be accused of. We use that term like someone has been charged for a crime. They've been accused of a crime. Notice what the Bible says. When you're justified, it says, this question is asked, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. See, what I want you to understand is when you got saved, if you've been saved, when you were justified, you already received the victory in that justification to the point where God says, you cannot even be charged. You cannot even be accused. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. He says, if you're justified, no one can even bring an accusation against you. No one can come back later and say, well, here's why you're not saved. Here's why you're not a sinner. Here's, no, no. Once you've been justified, hey, who, can, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. And by the way, and I'm not preaching about this, but this is why independent Baptists today, uh, a famous teaching they like to say is that one day at the judgment seat of Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to bring up all of our sins to us. And we're going to have to give an account for all of the sins that we did in this life. And listen to me, the, the, Bible, the Bible says, who shall, charge, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Amen. Right, right. Look, when you get to heaven, no one's going to bring up your sins to you. No one's going to charge you with sin. No one's going to accuse you with sin. Why? Because it's not that my sins have been done away with, although they have been done away with. It, justification is just as if I'd never been a sinner. It's literally redemption is that Christ took my place. That's what the Bible says, that he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We were created new. The victory has been given to us through our justification to the point where no one can even lay an accusation. No one can come to you and say, well, here's why you're not saved. And by the way, the devil is the accuser. Did you know that? The devil is the great accuser of the brethren that will often come and whisper in your ear and remind you of your past and remind you of your failures and remind you. But listen to me. Once you've been saved, once you've been justified, there's no one that can lay a charge to God's elect. You've received the victory through justification. Notice, not only can we not be accused, but we also cannot be condemned. Notice verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Is, uh, who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? You cannot be accused. You cannot be charged. You cannot be condemned. Notice another thing. You cannot be separated. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sakes, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We love to quote that verse when we're going through adversity. We love to quote that verse when we're going through financial problems or maybe marriage problems or uh, uh, child dream problems or whatever it might be. We like to say, hey, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. But, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with using that verse in that context. But here, understand this. The context of the verse is in regards to eternal security. Who shall separate us from the love of God? 
Who can separate us from God? We are more than conquerors through him. Notice verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, today you have people running around saying, well, you can lose your salvation. You can walk away from your salvation. You know, you receive Christ by faith, but if you don't live right, and if you start sinning, and if you start doing wrong, then God can take away your sin. No, understand something. You are justified, and when you're justified, no one can bring a charge, no one can bring commendation, and no one can bring separation. Amen. You are eternally secured in Christ. You are secured in God. See, we have already received, when it comes to justification, we have already received the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be separated. If you believe you can lose your salvation, you're not saved. Amen. And if you, and if you believe you can lose your salvation, you say, well, are you picking on me? I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to tell you. You don't have to live your life like that. You don't have to live your life worried and concerned. Am I doing enough? Am I, am I living good enough? You know, today I messed up. Has, have I lost my salvation? Hey, you can live in the victory of salvation knowing that you've been justified as if you've never been a sinner. As if you're not a sinner. As if you're already saved. Because we've been given the victory in Christ through our justification. I want you to notice, we have victory in our justification. For those of you taking notes, I'd like you to write this statement down. Not only do we have victory in our justification, we also have victory in our glorification. Notice Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. We saw the theological term there, justified. I'd like you to notice another theological term. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate... Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, notice these words, them he also glorified. See, not only have you and I received our victory in our justification, we have received victory in our glorification. Now you say, well, what exactly does it mean? What does it mean to be glorified? What is the glorification? Well, notice, and you're there in Romans 8. Look at verse number 21, and here's what I want you to understand. The term glorification has to do, justification has to do with the redemption of our souls. Glorification has to do with the redemption of our bodies. See, when you were saved, your spirit was quickened. You became a new man inwardly. You're a new man, but you still live in this old flesh. And today you might be saved, your soul is saved, but your flesh may be sinning. Your flesh may be doing wrong. But here's what you need to understand. This body is never going to make it to heaven. This body has not been saved. This body has not been redeemed. Justification is the redemption of your soul and of your spirit, of the inward man. But there is a redemption of the body that is referred to as Glorification. Notice Romans 8 and verse number 21. I understand that we're kind of talking a lot of theological terms here, but I want you to pay attention. I want you to grab this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 21. Notice what the Bible says. Because the creature, you see the word creature there? When you and I use the word creature, we, we're talking about like a spider, right? You know, we're talking about a little creature. We're talking about an animal. The word creature here is referring to the creation of God. Anything that God created, it's, a, it's referred to here as creature, and it's specifically talking about People, human beings, we are the creatures. That's what the Bible says, go ye therefore and uh, preach the gospel to every creature. It's not talking about giving the gospel to the dogs. It's talking about going and giving the gospel to every person, every creation of God. Now notice what it says, Romans 8, 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Notice what it says. For the 
creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious, notice the term glorification, glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, isn't this how you and I live our lives today? Groaneth and travaileth in pain together. That's how you and I live our lives. That's how mankind lives his life. Groaning and travailing in pain together. Until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. He said, not only does the world live their lives groaning and travailing, but he says, but even we ourselves, he says, those of us that have been saved, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, he said, even those of, that, of us that are saved spiritually, even we, it says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to win. Notice the redemption of our body. See, even if you're saved, you know your body still aches. Even if you're saved, you know your body still gets disease. Even if you're saved, you know you still go through hurt. You still go through pain. Your body, our souls have been saved. But one day, one day, our bodies will be glorified. Here we are saying, we've already received the victory in our justification. And we've even received the victory in our glorification. See, if they destroy this body, it doesn't matter. I'm not planning on living this body for all of eternity. One day, my body will be redeemed. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. You're there in Romans. Keep your place in Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians. You got Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Look at verse number 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Notice what the Bible says. You got Romans, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. The word sleep there is referring to death. He's saying we're not all going to die. He's talking to believers here. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. He's talking about the rapture. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead, those are the ones that are sleeping, and the dead shall be raised, notice this word, incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Notice verse 53. For this corruptible, do you understand what he's saying? Your body is corrupt. Your body is decaying. Your body is dying. Your body's not going to make it more than 80 years or 90 years or 100 years if you're healthy. But here's what he says. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. That's talking about our glorified body. Do you understand that one day you're going to receive a new body that doesn't decay, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't have pain. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then, this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Here's a quote from Isaiah. Death is swallowed up in what? Victory. See the word victory there? Do you know what he's telling you? He's telling you, not only have we already received the, 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 the victory, not only are we already conquerors in our justification, he says, we're already conquerors, we're already victors, we're already winners in our glorification. He says, you're going to beat death. And not by science, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Is that our key word? 
The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Jimenez. I, but I'm still in this body. How, how can he say that he has given us, giveth us? How can he say that, that he giveth us the victory? And here's what you need to understand about God that's a little interesting. Keep, uh, you're there in 1 Corinthians. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. You got First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Here's what you need to understand about God. And I'm going to show it to you in Romans, but your glorification is as good as done. Amen. When God makes a promise, you can go to the bank with that promise. Did you know that? By the way, you say, well, well, how is it that when I got saved, he said, I've already been uh, received my glorification. You know, how, how can he make those terms? Well, I want you to notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. And do me a favor. When you get to Ephesians, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to come back to it. So here's what you should have. You should have your place in Romans and you should have your place to Ephesians. We're going to leave Ephesians and we're going to come right back to it. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 6. I want you to notice. Everybody get to Ephesians 2 because I want you to look at this verse. Notice what it says. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. And hath. You see the word hath there? That's present tense. That's already, it's like it's already happened. Same way that the Bible says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, meaning you have it, meaning you possess it. You say, when I got saved, I hath, I have everlasting life, present time. Not something I'm going to get in the future. I have it the moment I believe. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You have it. You possess it. About salvation. But notice what he says about glorification. And hath, present tense, raised us up together. Let's talk about the resurrection. Talk about the rapture. And made. You see the word made there? made us, that's present tense. I want you to understand, he's not saying, and I will raise them up together, and I will make them to sit together. He doesn't say that. He says, and hath raised us up together, and made, present tense, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what the verse just said? Here's what God is saying. You're sitting in heaven right now with Jesus. Now, are you sitting in heaven right now with Jesus? The answer is no. He says, you've already been raised up. Now, have you already been raised up? No. But you say, well, why is he speaking in present tense? Why is he speaking like it's already happened? Go back to Romans. Go to chapter 4, look at verse 17. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Here's what I want you to understand. When God makes his promise, it's as good as done. In fact, it's, it, it's so good, he even speaks to it as if it's all already happened. Romans 4, 17. Notice, ro- notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. As it's written, I have made thee a father of many nations. This is referring to Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham. Before him whom he, whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead... Notice what it says. I want you to notice the last part of verse 17. And calleth those things which be not as though they were. You see that? You know what that just said? God says, he's he's telling Abraham, 
It's, it doesn't matter if you haven't had the son yet. As soon as I make the promise, it's as good as done. In fact, God says that he calleth those things which be not as though they were. He says the things that haven't even happened yet, the resurrection and the glorification. He says, I speak of those things like they've already happened. I speak of you as if you're already sitting in heaven in your glorified body. Amen. So how can he say that? Here's how you can say that. Because God has given you the victory already. You've been predestinated, not for salvation, but once you receive the call, he justified you. No one can condemn you. No one can charge you. No one can separate you. And then he's already glorified you. Now listen, for those of you who believe that you can lose your salvation, how does that work? God says, you're sitting in heavenly places with me already. It's as good as done. I mean, do you disappear when you sin? Oh, so-and-so just lost their salvation. They were sitting there. That's not how it works. See, once you're saved, you're saved. Once you've been justified, you've been justified. And it has nothing to do with you. Amen. Go back to Romans. Uh, you're there in Romans 4. Go to Romans chapter number 3. Let me just give you a couple more things on this idea. And then we'll get to our third point. Romans chapter 3. Look at verse number 20. See, today you have people who think that they are saved based on the way they live their lives. Right. They're saved based on the things they do. They think they will be justified by how good of a person they are. But I'm here to tell you, friend, that's not what the Bible teaches. Amen. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but like we talked about this morning, we need to dispute with false beliefs. Amen. We need to disagree with false doctrine. Say, look, if you believe that you're saved based on the way you live your life or that you can lose your salvation based on the way that you live your life, I'm not trying to make you your enemy. I'm trying to help you out. You're wrong. Amen. That's not justification. In fact, God says when you got saved, you're already sitting in heavenly places. You're already there. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Notice what he says. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore. Notice what he says. Don't miss this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law. What does that mean? What's a deed? Something you do. By the deeds of the law. By the keeping of the law. By the doing. That's where the word deeds come from. By the doing of the law. There shall no flesh be. Notice our key word. Justified. In his sight. You cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. Please understand this. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. You say, why not? Because there's none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not good enough. By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the, the purpose of the law is to show you that you're a sinner that needs salvation. That needs to receive the call. That needs to accept the call. Look at verse 28, Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. You find that all throughout the Bible. Notice, without, without the deeds of the law. Could it be any more clear? You're not saved by keeping the law, friend. You're not saved by living a good life. You're not saved by, by trying to do right. Look, I'm, I'm thankful you're trying to do right. And I'm thankful you're trying to live right. And I'm thank, I praise the Lord for that. But that's not what salvation is. When you are justified, it is because you are made a new creature. See, you can't reform the old man. It's not reformation, it's redemption. Amen. We see our victory in our justification. But not only do we see our victory in our justification, we also see our victory in our glorification. We've already, it's like we've already received. It's like we've already been raised. We're already sitting in heavenly places. According to scripture. But here's what I understand. Not only is there victory in justification. And not only is there victory 
in glorification. I want you to understand something. There is victory in sanctification. That's another theological term. Say, what is sanctification? Here's what I want you to understand, and please understand this. Justification, which is our salvation, and glorification, which is the redemption of our body, are two different things, two different events. Whenever you are saved, you are justified. At the rapture, whether you're asleep or alive, you will be glorified. But between justification and between glorification, there is a process called sanctification. Now, sanctification does not save you. Because we just saw by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We conclude, we conclude that you're not justified by the law. But there is a process that God is trying to do in your life. See, when God saved you, he did not save you to sin. He saved you, but now he wants to work with you and work on you, and he wants you to live the victorious Christian life. Are you there in Romans 8? Look at verse 29. Notice what he says. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. For salvation? No. He predestinated them, notice, for what? What did he predestinate them for? To be conformed to the image of his son. You say, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a process of, of, of not being conformed or of stopping the confirmation of, that we have to the world and to begin to conform our lives to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You're there in Romans 8, go to Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1. We could quote it, you know it, but let's look at it together. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That's sanctification. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God says, be not conformed to this world. But then he says that he predestinated you and he predestinated me to be conformed to the image of the Son. He says, I want you to be less like the world and I want you to be more like my Son. I want you to be less like the world and I want you to be more like Christ. You say, what is that? That's sanctification. It's a process that God begins in your life at the day of salvation. And it comes to completion on the day of the rapture. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Did you keep your place there? Ephesians chapter 2. Remember we saw in verse 6? We're already sitting in heavenly places. We've already received the victory through our glorification. Verse 8, famous verses, you know them. For by grace are you saved through faith. If you're still on the fence about whether or not you're saved based on the way you live your life, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Look, salvation is not of yourselves. It's not something you produce. It's not something you do. It's not something that comes from you. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. You say, why? Because it's a gift. It is the gift of God. A gift is free. That's what the word grace means. Notice verse 9. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. See, you can't pay for a gift and you can't earn a gift. That's why he says it's not of works. Look, if you can earn it, it's not a gift. He says it's a gift. He says, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You say, well, if we're saved, we're not saved by our works, then does the works not matter? Well, look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You say, well, I thought you said, but listen, this is the problem that people have. They confuse justification and sanctification. They think, 
that the things that you have to do to be sanctified are the things that you have to be, do to be justified. Listen to me. When it comes to sanctification, we are His workmanship. He's working on us, created in Christ Jesus unto good work. We're not saying to, to, to live a bad life. The Bible says, what sh- shall we sin then that grace may abound? God forbid. Amen. We shouldn't live a sinful life just because we're saved. Just because we can. But he says, for we are his work, which are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now notice, does this sound like Romans 8? Which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. That we should walk in what? In what? In the good works. This is not teaching Calvinism. It's not saying that you were foreordained to be saved. No, no, no. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. He covered that in verse 8 and in verse 9. But then he says, because God knew those that would be saved, he predestinated them or before ordained that they should walk in good works. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. You're there in Ephesians. The next book over is Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. This is a process that God is putting us through. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, we're his workmanship, right? That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What's the day of Jesus Christ? That's the rapture. When the trumpet sounds. Here's what I want you to understand. God has already given us a victory in our justification. And God has already given us a victory in our glorification. But between justification and between glorification, there is a time, there is a life called sanctification. And God desires to give you the victory in that also. God desires, look, God desires that you live the victorious Christian life. God doesn't want you to live in bondage. God doesn't want you to live in failure. God doesn't want you to fail in marriage. God doesn't want you to fail with your children. God doesn't want you to fail with your finances. God doesn't want, to fail, want you to fail in, in, in your morality. God wants you to walk in victory, and he's made that available. Just quickly as we end tonight, I want, I want to give you just a few thoughts. Go, go back to Romans 8. This is meant to be kind of an introductory sermon to this idea of the of victorious Christian life. We're going to get into some very practical things starting next week, but I want you to understand when it comes to victory, it means that you can overcome. I want you to understand that you can overcome, because of salvation, your environment. People will often blame their environment. They'll say, well, if you grew up in the home I grew up in, if you grew up with the parents I grew up with, if you were married to the individual I'm married to, if you grew up in the culture that I grew up in, if you grew up in the social structure or the economic structure or in the neighborhood or in the wherever that I grew up in, if you understand the environment and the things that happen, listen to me, I'm not minimizing the things that have happened to you. Some of you have had some terrible things happen to you and I'm not minimizing that at all. But we have this idea that we can just blame our environment for our failures in life. But listen to me, when you got saved, I'm not trying to hurt your feet, I'm trying to help you out. When you got God say, God did not only give you the victory over sin, and God did not only give you the victory in your body, God gave you the victory in life. Amen. You know, you can overcome, you know that you can overcome your environment? Right. Say, what are you talking about? Well, go to our passage, Romans 8, look at verse 28. And we know, I love, don't you love those two, those two words, we know? We know. We know that we have eternal life. And we know, notice what it says, that all things, and I say most things. And I say some things. It says all things. 
And we know that all things work together for good. Please understand what the verse is saying. It's not saying all things are good. Not everything that happened in your life is good. But we know that all things work together for good. Not for everybody. Notice, before you get all Calvinists on me, it's to them that love God. To them who are the called. Doesn't that mean they're saved? According to his purpose. That means they're walking, they're being conformed to the image of his son. Here's what we know. Here's what we know. Now the world can't claim this. But if you're called, meaning you're saved, you've received Christ as Savior, you've accepted the call of salvation, you've been justified. If you're called, if you love God, if you are walking according to his purpose, you can claim this promise. That no matter what environment you grew up in, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what's been done to you, God says that we know that all things work together for good. How can that be? It can be because God has already given us the victory. Notice verse 36. He gives an example. So what if you get, what if you get persecuted? Romans 8, 36, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So what if they try to kill us? We're still conquerors. Please understand this, and you don't have to turn to these passages. I'm just going to read these verses to you quickly. In fact, you, you go with me to 1 John chapter 5. If you go to the end of the Bible, you got the book of Revelation. If you head back, you got Jude, uh, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. You go there and let me read just a few verses for you. God has given us a victory in our trials. 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. God says that your trials are precious though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. God says that your trials can be precious at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You say, how can that be? Because he's already given you victory over all trials. Please understand this. I I wish people would get this. There is no trial that you can go through in life that should knock you out of the Christian life. Amen. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I got sued. My name was named. That's why I had to quit on God. You didn't have to quit on God for that. God says that he can turn any trial into a victory. God says he can can turn any trial into a a victory that you can look back at, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I got the victory. There's no trial. There's no tribulation. John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace, as the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know how there's no tribulation that has to knock you out of the Christian life? You know how there's no trial that has to knock you out of the Christian life? Amen. You know how there's no temptation that has to knock you out of the Christian life? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There are no temptation taken you, but such is a common demand. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you. That means allow. He will not allow you. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. That ye may be able... To bear it. There is no temptation that can knock you out of the Christian life. There is no tribulation that can knock you out of the Christian life. There is no trial that can knock you out of the Christian life. And here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. If you lose as a Christian, if you fail to live the victorious Christian life, it'll be because you chose to. Because God has already given you the victory. Not just in justification, not just in glorification, but also in sanctification. Are you there in 1 John 5? Not only does he give us the victory in our environment, please listen to me. Not only does he give us the victory in our environment, he also gives us the victory over our enemies. 
You say, who are the enemies? We have three major enemies. Here they go. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three people that are against you. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You know that God has already given you victory over all three? 1 John 5, 4. Are you there? For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. See, when you got saved, God gave you victory over the world. Amen. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. He said, the, the world is against us. The world is fighting us. The world is attacking us. Hey, be of good cheer. He's already given you victory over the world. He's already given you victory over your, uh, over your flesh. You don't have to turn there. Galatians 5.16 says this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. We're going to talk about that later on in the series, but please understand, you can live in victory over the flesh. You can live in victory over the world. Lastly, you can live in victory over the devil. 1 John chapter 2. You're there in 1 John 5. Just go a couple of chapters over. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. 1 John 2.13. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? That's, the, that's Satan. He says, ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. What to God that would describe the young men of Verity Baptist Church? Amen. You're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome. The wicked one. God has already given you the victory of the devil. First John 4 4. Turn to it real quickly. First John 4 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Why have you overcome them? Because greater is he, that's God, greater is he that is in you than he, that's the devil, that is in the world. See, so you got you to I gave you the victory over your environment, for we know that all things work together for good. I gave you the victory over your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right. So here's the question I have. If he's given us a victory in our justification, and he's given us a victory in our glorification, it's already like we're sitting up in heavenly places, and he's given us a victory in our sanctification, why is there so much failure in Christianity? Why are there so many people dropping out? Why are there so many people getting backslidden and quitting on God? Why is there such few Christians actually living the victorious Christian life that God has given them? And here's what I want you to understand. Over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to study the truths that the Bible gives us as to how to live the Christian life. See, here's what I want you to understand. The sermon tonight was entitled this. It was entitled, Destined for Victory. I want to begin by explaining to you, you can be victorious. In fact, you've been destined to be victorious. You've been predestinated to be victorious. But we have to follow those truths found in Scripture. And I want to encourage you to be here every week on Sunday night, every week, for the next five weeks, starting tonight, next four weeks after tonight, so we can learn how to live the Christian life. Next week, this, this was a theological type sermon. Next week, I'm going to give you a very practical sermon. The, the sermon next week, Part two of this series is entitled Defining Victory. What does it mean to win? What does it mean to win in the Christian life? The sitting at a Starbucks with your friends every Sunday morning, is that victory in the Christian life? Does quitting on God, what is the victory? What does it even mean to win? We're going to study that next week. We're going to look at what the Bible says. 
about defining victory. What does it mean to win? On the third part of this series, we're going to preach a sermon entitled, Denying Self for Victory. We're going to learn about why we must die to self and what it means to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit of God. I'm convinced that the problem with Christianity today and the problem with our movement, and I'm not down on our movement, I love our movement, but the problem with our movement is that we have a lot of rule keepers and we have a lot of list takers. And we want to follow all these little lists and how this is all fundamental. Listen to me, I'm all for lists, I'm all for standards. You want to compare, you know, fundamentalism, I'd be happy to compare with you. And I'm being sarcastic. But please understand this. Here's what I've realized. If we can just learn people to, if we can teach people to deny self and to walk in the spirit, you don't have to worry too much about lists. Because when you walk in the spirit, you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you walk in the spirit, you're not going to be walking in the flesh. And we're going to talk about denying self for victory and why we must die to self. In the first part, in the fourth part of the series, I'm going to preach a sermon entitled Disciplined for Victory. We're going to talk about the need for daily disciplines in our lives. And why being a disciple means you live a disciplined life. And then lastly, we're going to talk about directed for victory. Because the truth of the matter is, from time to time, we take detours, don't we? From time to time, we get distracted. And we're going to talk about how to return when you've taken a detour. And how to make sure you are directed properly to be successful in the Christian life. Because here's what I want you to understand, and here's all I want you to take from tonight's sermon. God has already given you the victory. If you fail, if you fail, it will not be because of God. He's already given you all the tools. He's put it all in the scripture. He's given you the Holy Spirit. But it is our job to make sure that we live the victorious Christian life. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. I know these theological terms and their scriptural terms can sometimes be a little heavy and maybe even we think redundant. We've talked about these things, Lord. But every once in a while, it's good for us to remember We've been justified. It's not just justice if I'd never sinned. It's justice if I'd never been a sinner. I've been given the victory in my justification. And I've been given the victory in my glorification. I've already, it's like I've already been raised up. Like I'm already sitting in heavenly places. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to be people that are learning to conform ourselves to the image of Christ that are attempting to not be conformed to the image of the world and that are trying to live the victorious Christian life in this process that we call sanctification. Lord, I pray for the dear people in this church, the people in this room tonight. I pray if there's somebody here who's not saved, who's trusting in their works, Lord, that they would realize that salvation is a gift that simply must be received. And Lord, I pray for those that are saved, that they would not be content to be saved, but that we would all desire to walk the victorious Christian life. We love you, Father. We thank you for salvation. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.